I named this morning the message, Let the Chains Fall Off. Father, I would just ask this morning that you would have your way in this service, for we came only to worship you, Father, and we would ask that your Spirit would be amongst us and would empower us, Father, that it would give us revelation. Hold on a second. Church, just for a moment for me, if you would, I would like to ask you to close your eyes for just a moment. You know, one of the chains that we can often have is not being prepared that keeps us and binds us from experiencing what God might want us to. So I want you to imagine, for those of you who are good at imagining, I want you to imagine being outside of this building today before you ever entered in. And I want you to imagine what God has in store for His people today. How He is worthy of our praise. How He is called us to be here, predestined us to be here this morning, and that He wants to move upon this body of Christ. You can open your eyes. You know, I have to give testimony that uh, when my wife and I were raising young children, often the uh, track to church wasn't the easiest. We were trying to get them ready on time, wondering if they had breakfast, whatever it is. Sometimes we walked into the house of the Lord not prepared whatsoever to receive what He had for us. But whether it comes in the difficulties of getting around uh, for church or whatever it is, sometimes our unpreparedness can be a chain that keeps us from experiencing. And so I pray uh, today that we, would, um, that we would be ready to experience what God has to do for us today. You know, sometimes I think we even put chains on the Holy Spirit. We have an expectation of what it is that God is going to do and that we haven't anticipated how great and how powerful that our God is and how He can do things beyond even those that we imagine. Do we long for, do we anticipate God's overwhelming spirit within our worship time today? If so, can we let the chains fall off? I want to ask one more favor of you today. Show me your hands. Everybody have hands? What about you, young man? I see your hands. I see your hands. Thank you. You know, um, when I first came to Oakton... One of the things that compelled me to this body of believers was the way that they worshipped. They worshipped differently and more intimately than any experience that I had ever had in my life. I saw people that were experiencing freedom in worship that was beyond what I could even describe. And you know what's a shame? is that I was wearing chains, that I was fearful to participate, that I was worried about what someone else might think. I was being held back from experiencing worship the way that I saw other people do it. Funny enough, oh man, this goes back uh, nearly a decade. Uh, One time, a praise team had done their incredible job as always. And the church, you could feel the spirit moving throughout and people were just into worship. And on the way home, my son was riding with me and he said, Dad, I think your arms were a little heavy today. Chains can make our arms feel heavy. 
They can bind us and keep us from having the freedom to be able to worship the one, as Joel says, who is worthy of all of our praise. You know, I want to tell you a truth about empty hands. I didn't know this for a long time, but it finally was revealed to me that the reason why people raise empty hands is that what do they have in them? Nothing. We don't have anything worthy of praising our Lord and Savior. So when we're lifting our hands in praise to Him, it's not because we are holy. It's not because we have something to offer Him or His kingdom. But it's because we recognize that we don't have. We recognize that we don't have and that it's all 100% His righteousness that we're attesting to. I asked the praise team... This morning to stay up, um, again, um, this is an untraditional service for Oakton. Our pastors are away on a sabbatical that I'm very thankful for. I'm excited and encouraged to see what revelation that they're going to have, what visions that they have for the church, and to see them refreshed in the Lord, but a little bit different uh, service. And so we're going to do one more praise song this morning before we, can, before we move on with the message. But I just want to ask you one question. Can we let the chains fall off just and experience God in worship this morning? Thank you, uh, praise team. <clears throat> Amen. Today... Um, I hope to revelate about chains. Um, I'm not a preacher, as uh, Nick told you. Our, our pastors are gone uh, for a sabbatical, a time of refreshing, a time of prayer, a time of asking God's Spirit to give them vision for this body. And uh, man, I'm excited about uh, what that's going to be like. Everybody know what it feels like to come off a of vacation and you're ready to go back to work? Well, maybe not. But you know what it's like to come off of a vacation and feel like you're rejuvenated in some kind of a way. So I look forward to that and I'm thankful uh, for this opportunity to share today. Actually, a couple of Fridays ago, Pastor Kent uh, called me and said, hey, would you consider speaking at Oakton Central, you know, for this coming Sunday? And immediately I said, yeah. Um, it was really one of those uh, God kind of things to where I knew immediately what I wanted to speak about. And uh, so I was excited about it, started preparing for it. And I came to church last Sunday and Pastor Kent spoke exactly the message that I had planned. So... <laughs> I got to kind of start over a little bit. I called him and said, man, you know, that's not even fair. You were, you were uh, looking from my notes and this kind of thing. Isn't it kind of funny how God sometimes puts on the hearts of his people the same message because he is affirming the things that he has to say. So today's a, a little bit of a continuance of what Pastor uh, Kent spoke um, last week. Um, actually, if anything, I'm going to preach to myself today, but perhaps maybe some small portion of what I will share today might also apply to you. Maybe you can relate to it. Um, again, I titled the message today, Let the uh, Chains Fall Off. Um, the inspiration and revelation from that sermon title actually came from Peter's chains when he was imprisoned. In Acts chapter 12, verse 7, it says, And behold, 
The angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and smote Peter on the side, and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Now, what we might, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story, if we understand what is actually going on here, is that Peter had been cast into a prison and was guarded by four quadrants of four. He had 16 people guarding him to ensure that he could not escape. He had two people that were assigned to him for a watch that were chained to him. Anybody here have their uh, nose itch ever? I want you to pretend like you've got chains on your arms and you can't move them, but your nose is itching. I mean, he was bound. He could not move whatsoever. And this angel came and released him and his chains fell off. You have to understand that Peter walked out of his cell as the door opened. He walked through the prison, outside of the prison, and then walked outside in the gate to the open streets opened up. Do you know what Peter said? Peter thought that he was seeing a vision. He didn't even realize that it was him that was escaping from prison without his chains until he'd made it out to the street. He said when he came to and realized these things, of course he went uh, to the house where his brothers and sisters were gathered together who happened to be praying for him. When he entered to the gate of this house, a young woman named Rhoda Uh, met him at the gate in which she recognized his voice. She didn't open up the gate, but she ran back to tell the others, Peter's here, Peter's here. The people who were gathered, who were praying for Peter, didn't believe it, and they said, no, it must be his angel. It's impossible. You know, when we think in the practical, when we think in the natural world, it seems like it would be impossible for Peter to be escaped. And as a matter of fact, they expected the news that he would have been executed by this very point. Church, what I want you to understand is this. Not only was Peter in disbelief that God had taken his chains off, but hear this. It may be hard for us and for others to believe that our chains have fallen off. There's people around us whose chains have fallen off And we want to see them and remember them and treat them like they were still wearing those chains. When our chains fall off, we want everybody to recognize them and immediately say, Hey, congratulations, your chains are gone. You're not the same. But it's not so easy always for us. Chains can bind us in many different forms. Today we'll peer into chains that bind us when reading the Word of God. How chains can bind our pastors how they can bind us individually, and how chains can even bind us in our prayer life. Word chains. might think that's an odd term to use, but I can tell you, church, for years I read the Word of God, but I didn't receive from the Word of God what God had in store for me because I read the Word of God from the natural. I've had other Christians confess to me that they read the Word of God, but they don't get from the Word of God what you would expect as a believer reading the Word. 
I've had other Christians who have testified to me that they've become unexcited or stopped reading the Word because it wasn't giving them, it wasn't inspiring them, it wasn't changing their life. Anybody relate? You know, I believe we can even become unmotivated to read God's Word. But we know that that's not His will for us, right? He wants us to be in praise of Him, to be in the Word, to know Him better. <clears throat> in Isaiah chapter fifty-five, eleven, God Himself says, So is my Word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not re- return to me empty, but shall accomplish the very purpose for which I sent it. So now we have God testifying that He intends and wants us to see us receive when we open up His words, the blessing that comes from that. You know, in the Old Testament, it talks about when the law is read, how there's a veil over the face of people. You know, kind of like when Moses came down from the mountain that he'd been in the experience of God, that his face was shining so much that they had him put a veil over. The word describes the reading of the Old Testament in the same way that when it's read, there is a veil. However, I believe for us that even in the New Testament, the gospel, the good news, there can be a veil if we only read the word in the natural and not from the spiritual. Let me give you a couple of examples. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it's a beginning scripture of the Beatitudes uh, when Jesus is giving the great Sermon on the Mount. And, and this verse is pretty uh, short. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Boy, I read that in the natural, and I hear poor and blessed, and try to put those two together. It doesn't resonate so much with me. When I think of things like poor, I think about lacking and needing and, and, and requiring uh, you know, some kinds of things just to be able to survive. It doesn't seem like that it is the kind of thing that would cause blessed. But our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So let's look at that from the spiritual for a moment and said. Does the word mean for us to be able to gain from that? So what is being poor in spirit? Poor in spirit is the recognition that there is nothing that we could possibly do in order to be in right standing with God, that we are physically bankrupt in our spirit and that we have nothing that we can offer God. But in recognition of that, we're realizing that we need a Savior who gives us all of our righteousness before God, right? So it says that it's blessed to the value of the kingdom of heaven. That's a pretty great uh, value, right? The, um, another uh, quick example would be that Jesus said, Jesus said, so that's always important, right? Jesus said seven times, and church, I think it's fair to say, if Jesus says it, and he says it seven times, it's probably something that we ought to pay attention to, right? Anybody disagree? He says, let those who have ears hear. 
I'm looking around this room. Looks like most of you have ears. My wife knows it's a crazy uh, thing of mine. Oh my gosh, she's going to be embarrassed. (sighs) She was going to get to be in the children's area today, but she made it in here so I can pick on her. I have this really weird thing. If someone has a hairdo that I can't see if they have ears, it makes me wonder if they do. Of course, I know that they probably have ears. All of us probably do. And probably all of those who heard Jesus say, let him who has ears hear, right? They, they heard that. So if we only read this in the physical, it probably doesn't gain us much, right? I don't even know how many times that Jesus actually said that. It's recorded seven times in Scripture, Obviously, it was a common phrase of his. It says in the word that if everything that he said and did were written down, that the volumes of those, the whole world could not contain. So it's likely that he said this more than even the seven times recorded in the scripture. So what does that mean when we look at it from the spiritual? You know... um, Do we have spiritual ears? Do we have spiritual eyes? Do you think that he really meant these flappy things on the side of our head or even the ability to naturally hear? Or did he mean that he wants us to hear and see like he does from his spirit? The way that we see others, the way that we interpret situations could be drastically changed when we see them and hear them from the spiritual. When we read God's word from the spirit, the chains that bind us from understanding and revelating fall off. Hmm. I hate to say this, church, but I think that sometimes we put chains on our pastors. Maybe not a comfortable one. Maybe we don't want to recognize that we're part of those chains. But, but I think that it's fair to say that our pastors can experience chains as well that not only come from um, the evil one or what their burdens to carry, but they can come from us as well. You know, um, we all, when we come to church, we want to hear a good message, right? You know, we come, we want to hear the word of God. I thank goodness, I thank God at Oakton that it's a word church, that we hear what is based upon God's scripture, and I'm thankful for that. But we want to hear this thing that is going to cause us to be different, to act different, to think different. We want to be changed as a result of the message. But I want to tell you, I believe it's as much up to you as it is the pastor. You know what? Your body language The way that you respond to the message, the involvement, the interest that you show, a pastor can feed off of the body. Believe that? 
I mean, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're going to stand up in front of 400 people and you're going to speak to them and you've got some people, I'm making sure I'm not offending anybody, you've got some people who have their arms folded, maybe I've even been guilty of before, being distracted, maybe God gave me something in a word and here I am reading the Bible instead of paying attention to the message. Do you think that feeds into the pastor? No, of course. Even shaking our heads and affirmate, let's practice this one time. Next week our pastor says something really good and we go... Yeah. How about an amen? How about something that gives our pastors affirmation that they're speaking to a body that came here craving to hear God's very word? If we don't do those things, we're putting chains on our pastors. It goes even further, church, though. I'm sure many of you have uh, spoken words of encouragement over our pastors, but I'm also sure that for many of us, we've either given them suggestions or complaints about how they might have done it better, right? I want you to imagine for a moment, how many people here work or married? You still have a boss. (laughs) I want you to imagine for a moment that your boss or colleague comes in to you every day and says to you, you know, What you did was okay yesterday, but I really think that you could do it better by doing this. What if they tell you things day after day after day that are not building you up, but they're only telling you the things you did wrong? They forgot to recognize that you worked three hours of overtime to cover someone else the day before, but they can be critical of the very smallest thing. You hear me? Imagine that you had 500 bosses. Hmm? What do our pastors experience? I want to tell you that I think that we have an opportunity at Oakton to raise up armor bearers for our pastors. In case someone is not familiar with the term armor bearer, um, it's a common term um, from the Word of God used mostly in the Old Testament. So I want you to imagine that um, you have an armor bearer. You have one. What is your armor bearer doing for you? He is carrying the burden of your armor. He's there to protect your sides and or your back. He's there to ensure your safety, and even willing to give his own life. If we look at 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 7, it says this. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. I'm not saying that that um, we should never have a thought, we should never have an idea, we should never have a revelation, we should never have a vision for the church. But I believe to become an armor bearer for our pastors, we have to get behind their vision for the church. We have to support them and encourage them. What about praying for our pastors? I'm sure that you guys do. You probably do a better job of it than I do. It's a little bit interesting. My son is now my pastor. (laughs) But you know, they need our prayers. They need our encouragement. They need our uplifting so that they can do what God called them to do. 
Can we help the chains fall off of our pastors? Yeah? We can do that by being armor bearers for them, for sure. You know, but it's not them exclusively. We also have chains. I think one of the things this week that was difficult for me to go through, but in, in trying to catch the vision for what God wanted me to speak today was to understand how many chains are actually binding us. Maybe you don't have in your mind immediately chains that come to mind, but let me give you a few, and maybe some of those you can associate with. What about past? What about worry? What about poverty or need? What about riches? What about unforgiveness, guilt, sickness, anger, pain, addictions, circumstances, sin, or as Teresa said so beautifully in the first service, fear. Those are chains. Those are things that bind us. They may not prevent us from being able to raise our hand in order to scratch our nose like Peter was in prison, but they are still chains that can affect our lives, our witness for the gospel, and cause us not to be all that we could possibly be. Do we know what our why is? Hmm, probably sounds strange. Do we know what our why is? Why do we have these chains? Why sometimes when we're set free of a chain, do we put them back on? What is our motivation for getting rid of or having the chains fall off in our life. I believe our why is something that meets an interesting circumstance of our spiritual and natural gifts with the things that motivate us to cause the want and desire for our chains to fall off. You guys are here this morning, so you know that this is a place where we can come together and we can help each other get rid of the chains that are holding us back. I believe that our why is more than just a passion. When we align our spiritual and natural gifts with passion, we can do amazing things for God, for our families for our friends, for our neighbors, even our enemies. Do you believe that we can be set free of these things? We have to recognize our chains in order to command them in the name of Jesus and by his blood to fall off, right? So we have to first recognize our chains. Are you and am I ready for some of these chains to fall off? You know, um, they do come in many ways. One of those is also prayer. When I first came to Oakton, 
there were so many things that I saw that I had never experienced before. To tell you the truth, I came here to Oakton to this little small place out in the middle of the nowhere country, whatever, I think the population 32, whatever it is. I came here willingly, but not super excited. I, I was uh, a Gideon who would travel around to churches and I would share about the Gideon ministry. And, and as a result of that, we would take up a love offering to support the Gideon ministry a wonderful, wonderful uh, ministry that uh, provides God's word free of charge to people all over the world. But I came here to Oakton in order to deliver a message about the Gideon ministry, and I was ministered to. I had never seen, had never experienced anything like I had when I came here to Oakton. Probably we don't even recognize, maybe after a while we get used to things and don't realize how special of a place it is. But let me tell you what happened to me. I thought, wow, Lord, that just had to be a one-time thing. It was just really great. I was just caught up in the moment. It was just this one circumstance, but I had to find out. So I would drive from church and get out here to Oakton. Probably didn't speed that much, but I would get out here. In time to experience service at Oakton, I sat in the back and what I experienced changed me in a very big way. When I got home or when I got around other people, I couldn't wait to tell them the crazy things that I saw at Oakton. I mean, these people... I mean, they were loving on each other. They, they were worshiping God beyond what I could imagine. They were preaching directly from the Word without fear of saying the wrong thing to hurt someone's feelings. And then when it came time for prayer, these crazy people would get up and come and pray at the altar. They would go to prayer teams. They weren't worried about what someone else thought or anything else. And I thought, wow, this is really, really cool, but it's not for me. I'm not going to get up out of my chair and go to the altar. What if they thought there was something wrong with me? (laughs) Plus, I got a bald spot about right there. So (laughs) Don Federley, by the way, called me out on that one time when I was helping in a service. He leaned over to my wife and his quiet, quiet voice that during a time of silence, said, boy, he's got a big bald spot that I could, that I could hear from up, up at the altar area. But hey, it's good to come to the house of the Lord and have fun, right? Do you think God wants us to have fun this morning? Yeah, he wants us to praise him. He wants us to come together in fellowship. He wants us to experience more of him, that I'm sure. But I tell you what, this was not easy for me to and, and I won't tell you that I've dropped every chain. I mean, do I still fear sometimes and let my praise be held back by, by crazy things? I'll tell you, this is a terrible thing. I'm so thankful to have my family here today and various friends. And thank you all that came out in spite of knowing that I was speaking. If you didn't, surprise. <laughs> Our pastors will be back next week and we'll get, we'll get in the groove of those kind of things. But um, I lost my track of what I was saying. But honestly, um, it was almost harder for me when my family was around. Maybe you can't even relate to that, but it was almost like if my family, for whatever reason, was gone, I could kind of 
raise my hand a little bit. I could kind of feel a little bit more freedom. But when they were there, I felt a little bit intimidated by those kinds of things. The same can happen for us, whether it's praise or it's prayer. You know, church, shouldn't we have the freedom to be able to come before the Lord and before our brothers and sisters in Christ and to be able to lift up our concerns and to be willing to pray for others in need as well. Is that so strange? doesn't seem like it should be in the church. But I will tell you, I think it's a chain. I think that maybe not always is it the most comfortable thing to expose ourselves, not only to God, but to others by taking those moments of being able to come forward. Maybe I'm only preaching to myself this morning and that everyone here feels complete freedom. I love it when we sing the song. I, I love our praise team. When we sing, um, when we sing praise to God that is so wonderful, that feels like we get just for a moment to glimpse into his throne room when we get to experience what it must be like to stand in awe of God. Those are incredible, amazing, amazing experiences. What did we expect when we came, we decided to come to church today? Honestly, if I ask myself the very question many times on Sunday, I don't necessarily expect to leave here differently than I came, but should I? Should we expect that God is going to meet us where we're willing to have an experience with him that causes something to happen within us? I believe that we serve a good, good God and a mighty God that is able to even be able to loose the chains from Peter guarded by 16 soldiers inside of a prison that would be impossible to escape from. I believe that we serve a God who took upon himself our stripes. I believe that we serve a God who was raised from the dead, who is not restrained by anything. You know, one of the chains of prayer that I think that we have, or I have, is being afraid to be bold enough in prayer to be having enough faith to believe that God is who he says he is and that he loves and cares about us so much that he would send his only son to die on a cross for us. That kind of love is beyond probably what we can imagine, what we can grasp, but it should tell us something, church. There isn't anything too small There isn't anything too big. There isn't anything impossible for the one that created all. Are we praying tiny prayers? 
See, I think sometimes it's hard for us in the United States of America to understand some of the terms that we see in the Word. One of those earlier that we spoke about was kingdom, right? We used to a kingdom. Do we know what a kingdom is? Once a uh, professional golfer had an opportunity, he was invited to play golf with a king. You know, you can imagine, they, they uh, went all out. They had a, you know, a great time. It was a super experience. The king had flown over his private jet to pick him up. And, of course, you know, he's in limousines and has anything that you could possibly want to play the round. And after the round of golf, the king said to the professional golf person, wouldn't for sure if it was a man or woman, so I used person. Is that okay today? Golf person, he said, ask me for anything. So the professional golfer couldn't think of really what he should ask for. You know, you don't want to ask for something too big, but at the same time, you want to get something pretty nice, right? And so he asked him for a golf club. He got home and he waited and waited, and he hadn't received anything yet. So he began to think about, well, you know, maybe this king was going to have it gold-plated, you know, or maybe even, you know, have his name put in it, or some fancy cover, or some kind of a thing. He began to think of the kind of gift that the king might give. A few days later, the man received a package that included a deed to a golf club. We get the difference? Golf course, clubhouse, the whole thing. You see, he was a lot like we are. That we imagine when we go to God in prayer, that he's going to answer us like we would answer for one of our kids or our friends or our family. But that's not the God that we serve. He is a king of kings. I don't know if it will ever be possible as we go through this process of sanctification to fully understand and to fully remove all of the chains that keep us from being what we could be in God. But church we have an opportunity today. If the, if the uh, praise team would come forward, please. We're doing service a, a little bit backwards today. Um, normally, the altar time occurs before the message, and it's a wonderful time of prayer. But today, because we were talking about chains and to try to throw Joel off, I asked if we could flip around the service a little bit. Have them do a praise song after the message started and do the, the prayer teams at the end of it. Um, I know that there's a lot of uh, guests here today, and so you may not be familiar with the way that this works, and I don't, um, I don't think it's ever good that we have a bunch of church terms or things that people don't know when to set or stand or those kind of things. So let me give you a little example. There will be groups by twos of people in, in the front of the church on both sides and also in the back. Um, these people are only here for one purpose. 
Um, they're here to pray in agreement with you. They don't have an agenda. They don't have a, a motive of something that they're looking for. This is your need that they're willing to pray with you, to stand with you as brothers and sisters. You know, the Word instructs us and tells us that that's exactly what we ought to do. Whether it's sickness or need or whatever it is, we go to the elders of the church and ask them to pray for us. And we know that the Word says when we pray that God hears us, and if He hears us, we have what we've asked for. So church, this seems simple, right? Anyway, the uh, prayer teams, if they would please come forward as we begin worship this morning. And I just want to encourage you, if you've had a chain that has kept you from coming to the altar to pray by yourself or to pray with one of the uh, prayer team members, please don't let that inhibit you today. One of the things that Peter had to do was get up before his chain fell off. If you'll notice, it doesn't say in the word, his chains fell off and he got up. It says that Peter got up and his chains fell away. Praise team.